you hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. All right, so today we're going deep with Queer Money. We're going to be talking about quantum law. It's becoming more apparent to scientists and lay people alike that we live in a vibrational universe and that humans aren't excluded. What we attract in our lives is in direct proportion to the energy we emit. And until we change our vibration, we continue to attract what we've always attracted. This is why it seems like your friend dates the same guy no matter how many different boyfriends he has, or why your sister always seems to think she's on a string of bad luck. Therefore, we attract that which we think we deserve, what's equal to what we're worth. The challenge, though, is what we believe about ourselves at our deepest, most visceral levels. Those beliefs that we adopt about ourselves before the age of five, some scientists claim, are buried so deep in our core that many of us don't even see it or feel it. While we may seek success and financial security, our unconscious belief that money is the root of all evil is our dominating vibration, and these vibrations produce our results in life. This brings us to today's guest, Lisa Peterson, business coach and money strategist at the Wealth Clinic and the host of the Art of Abundance podcast, on which she's hosted such notable money experts as Gene Chatsky, Farnoosh Tarabi, and you guessed it, the Deaf Free Guys. <laughs> Today we talk about our vibration, how we can raise it to improve our lives, and some of the tools Lisa uses with her clients and shares with her readers and listeners, including I Prosper, her eight steps to transform your relationship with money. Before we get started, this episode of Queer Money is being brought to you by the Debt Free Guys 13-Week Leap. Think getting financially organized requires too many steps and is therefore too hard? Think again. With the 13-Week Leap, we'll walk you through getting your financial life organized one simple step each week for 13 weeks. Now, on with the show. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. So welcome, Lisa Peterson of Wealth Clinic to Queer Money. We're excited to have you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So you and David had an, a very in-depth conversation the last <laughs> night at FinCon, and it impressed him so much. He's like, we've got to have Lisa on the show. <laughs> so I'm so happy to be here. It's true. We dove into our deepest soul conversation. <laughs> right. We, you know, I think that, that that's part of the reason why I wanted you on the podcast is I think that John and I a lot of times cover a lot of topics around success or around money, and most of them are from a very tactical standpoint of what we can do, or here's examples of what other people have done, and sometimes we don't take it inward as much as we should. And so that's probably the, I think that the the primary reason is I love the way that you approach money and the way it's, it is attached to who you are inside. And I think that's very important for our community as well. Yeah, I love bringing this conversation anywhere I can. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So I want to dive a little bit into sort of start off with a little bit of unconscious beliefs, because I think that's something that a lot of people in society struggle with. But in particular, our community, we know the LGBT community struggles a lot with limiting and unconscious beliefs. So much of our lives are dictated by these beliefs. In your experience and education expertise, why is that? Yeah, well, the first thing I'll just say is what we're talking about is what I call our see-through beliefs. So things that are there, but because they're so 
automatic. We just see right through them and don't even know that they're affecting the way that we see the world. And everyone has them. And because I think they're harder for us to understand, because like the conscious beliefs are the logical, you know, systematic thinking that we all normally think about when we think about our mind and the way that we make decisions. But because the see-through beliefs, we can't see them, they're harder to understand, we often ignore them. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've never actually referred to them as see-through beliefs, but I, that totally makes sense. It's it's something that you believe about yourself or the way the world or universe works, but you're not aware that you believe them. Yeah. And then the big challenge is that because we don't, as a society, as a culture, spend a lot of time thinking about them, talking about them, then what ends up happening is we don't realize just how powerful they are because for all of us, it's these unconscious, these transparent beliefs that are actually communicating with the conscious you know, actions that we're making all day long. And it happens to everyone. So, you know, it is a little overwhelming if you think of it that way. It's like, well, wait a minute. I thought I was in control of myself and, and all of life. But once you open the door to this conversation, you have to be open enough to think, well, what if I actually don't know what's happening? Yeah. And most people don't like that, right? We don't like that feeling very much. It's uncertainty. Exactly. Yeah, I, I was kind of <laughs> thinking it's, to me, it's it's very much like when you wear a pair of sunglasses that have a scratch in them <laughs> and eventually you just don't even notice that the scratch is there, but it is in some manner affecting your view and it could cause a blind spot so that you don't see something, you miss something. That's, I guess that's kind of the way that some of these beliefs get in the way of what we should be seeing then. Totally. Because then it's it's like all of our interactions, if we are open to this idea, then we see that perhaps our interactions are being filtered through a whole body of information that we haven't spent a lot of time thinking about. So this is our beliefs, our values, our habits. Those are the more obvious ones. But then you have feelings, emotions, imagination, dreams, like all of that is in this whole construction of what we consider the unconscious. Where does this come from? Is this part of evolution or is this just a human weakness that we have these unconscious beliefs that we're not aware of? Has it ever provided us value in our evolution? Yeah, it's a great question. I've never heard, you know, someone talk about an answer in that way. I think it's more of like, we know that it's happening. Why is it happening? Well, there's a few things. The brain has evolved over time to allow us to have the prefrontal cortex and so much processing. You know, I'm not a brain scientist, but I study it a lot. And I just know that we have evolved to such an extent where we're no longer just you know, like a primal being, like a monkey, right? Where we just respond to these lower level needs, but we're responding to a whole, you know, vast system of possibilities through the brain. And so it could be that it's a manifestation of that complexity that we are, the mind is trying to systematize. And, and in reality, it can't because there's just too many factors Part of the reason beliefs are so helpful, you know, you asked about that was, is that 
if we didn't have beliefs, then throughout the course of the day, we would have to stop every time anything (laughs) happened and we'd have to break it down into parts and like make decisions. So I think beliefs are helpful to streamline our decisions. The problem is, is that when we're mindless to that process, everything can become automatic, even the reactivity that doesn't serve us, where we get angry and we get frustrated and we, we, we cut off our creativity and we just go and try and solve problems from this very primal nature. Like that can even be a habit and an automatic response. But instead, when we become more mindful, we start to notice what's happening. And something, an analogy I think will be helpful for the listeners and and for this conversation is another way to think about all of this is if we imagine that the conscious mind is like the captain of the ship who is giving out the orders on the ship. And it's the crew who's hidden under the deck that carries out the orders. And the crew is like the subconscious mind. And it's a lot more powerful than anyone gives it credit for. So the captain may be in charge of the ship, but it's the crew that's actually the one guiding it according to what they know and what not what the captain knows. And so this is kind of what's happening to us throughout our experiences with money in particular. We think we know what we're doing, but in reality, there's all this other stuff that's inside of the brain and inside of the feelings in the body and inside the memory that are affecting us. Wow, I love that analogy. So this is affecting us not only with how we spend or save our money or how we invest it, but it also probably, it has to be affecting how we're earning money, how much we think that we're worth and how much we're striving to to achieve. Totally. You know, a lot of what I focus on are past traumatic events that have occurred and how those traumas and how we didn't deal with them, how they play out later in life in our experiences with money, because I've noticed that there's strong parallels. But the other thing to think about is that the goal, I mean, if we step back for a second and just say, So, you know, what do we want to do here? How can we change this? What I've found is that we need to have alignment between the conscious system and the unconscious system. Like the more alignment we have between what we, our logical mind thinks and what is going on under the surface, the easier it is for us to make very conscious and mindful decisions about our money. Got you. So I guess I wonder, wouldn't the first step sort of be to identify what those unconscious beliefs are first? Yes, exactly. So in the context of our conversation, what I'm always looking for is what is that pattern with a client with money? Like what's going on? And and obviously we love the things that work well. So I don't focus that much on the <laughs> things that are working. I'm looking at like, what's not working? Like, what do you keep doing over and over and over again? And yet you don't know why. So, you know, with what you guys have focused on, it's, it's spending and accumulating debt. So it's like, why is that happening? Or, or is it, first of all, is it even a problem for someone? You know, what's the problem? And that begins the conversation. And so is that how you would identify those unconscious beliefs to sort of look at your, your patterns first mm-hmm. and then identify what are the patterns that are producing the results that I don't want? Yeah, yeah. And you asked earlier, made a mention to it. It's like, are there things that we can do? 
So one of the reasons I like meditation so much is it calms the mind enough. Journaling is another one where you start to quiet down all the noise in the mind so that when you shine the attention of the logical mind and the conscious mind onto that particular problem, then you're going to be more open to what you start to see unfold. Okay, so let me apply this tactically. So I, I'm identifying that I, I continually overspend and I'm racking up credit card debt. I don't want to continue to do that because it's sabotaging my financial future. So I've identified that pattern and I, I've identified the result of that pattern. Are you saying then through the practice of meditation, I sit down, I quiet my mind, and do, do you contemplate, like, why do I consistently repeat this pattern? Yeah, like it can be many different ways. I mean, this is what I teach people how to do. So there's a lot of different forms of inquiry and processes that we can go through. But even just like what you just described, which is the first core step, it's like, I know I have a problem. That's what you just did, right? You said, okay, here's the problem. I know it's coming from this behavior. This is what's getting me into trouble. So we're breaking it into parts. And then the next thing is to is to ask yourself, why might this be happening? Really simple. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. I, I think that one of the important things here is when we think about our patterns or our habits in life, we've often seen whether it's going on a diet and losing weight or paying off your debt or other places that we may be in life where we have some form of success, but then we see ourselves slip right back to where we were at. So we can maybe tactically make some of these changes. We know what to do to make the changes, but you're saying it's these underlying unconscious beliefs or some of these other things that may be what cause us to slip back or not make the progress as quickly as we would like. It's such a good point. Totally. Because what I've found in my own journey with this sort of issue is like when I was in my teens, you know, I went through puberty, I, I started um, gaining weight and I also had a problem with emotional eating. And so I would just eat more and, um, and I couldn't change the, the behavior. So I kept trying to do all kinds of external stuff, like go on these crazy diets. Mm -hmm. Typically it'd be like, just cut off, you know, just eat tuna fish with lemon. I remember like in <laughs> broccoli or something. Ooh. And then, and then I would be so deprived. I would find myself going back to, you know, eating too much, like indulge, you know, overeating. And, and it was just this vicious cycle. And I realized something about myself, which is, I'm not that great at willpower, especially when I decided I was on a diet. I actually just got, it got worse for me. And many of us who have experienced a lot of trauma in our childhood, that's a pretty common thing. Like we don't know, our, our problem is the middle path is very difficult. We go back and forth like a fish out of water, flipping from one extreme to the other. And maybe people listening to this and you relating it to your own experiences with money, which is like, I'm going to be super frugal and I'm not going to spend any money. And then, you know, and I did this too, where you'd go, you know, several months and you'd be like, I'm so excited. Look at what I did. And then I'd go celebrate <laughs> by going on a shopping spree. <laughs> right. like, come on. I mean, and this is part of, you know, the people I serve are those who have, again, 
faced a lot of disruption over the course of their life to the point where they do have emotional issues that are causing problems in their lives. And that's why this work goes way beyond just saying, here's a budget, you need to follow it. Like, I don't do it very well that way. My willpower goes crazy. I can do it, but it's not without a pretty strong fight. On the other hand, when you dive into the core reasons, the core root beliefs that you created when you were young that are causing you to do this behavior and you literally let them go, you don't have to use willpower anymore to change your behavior. Absolutely. I I love this partly because, you know, many of you are listening and you, you may think back to your childhood and you may think, or even as an adult, and you may not classify what you've gone through as traumatic. Maybe you didn't have a specific one occurrence traumatic experience, but just think about so many of us in the LGBT community, whether it's our parents, our church, our extended family, just society in general, we grew up with this whole idea that we're not complete. We're not okay. There's something wrong with us. You're not desirable. Your life is going to... And people maybe even have said this to you directly. So it's some of those little underlying messages that we have ingrained in our lives that may be then the result. It is being evidenced by our bad spending habits. And I know for both John and me, we both said that Part of the reason why we would spend the way we would spend was because we were so insecure with ourselves, because we didn't feel like we were good enough, because we didn't feel like our community of friends would like us enough unless we were fabulous in the sense that everybody else could see us being fabulous. We felt like we needed to have those outward displays of fabulousness. And so I think what's really important here is listening to what Lisa is saying, how these small things can have a major impact on how we live our lives. It's so true. And I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, the reason I'm so passionate about it is because I feel like my story was so extreme. But now when I work with people, I have to bring the attention back to a person many times to say, I want you to understand that this seven-year-old who we're talking about right now, how they would have received this information, not how you're looking at it from a logical standpoint, which is you shouldn't be suffering from that. I want you to get in the position of really connecting in with your child inside and how they would have received this information and how easily it would have been for them to have thought that they were not enough because of this situation. And those are the little moments that now I'm like, well, that was actually traumatic to hear that or to receive that and to think that you were anything but perfect because we are born perfect and we are born full of love. And unfortunately, we live lives that don't always give us the nurturing to confirm that system of beliefs that we badly need to be the people we want to be when we're, you know, grown adults. So is is that the opportunity that journaling and meditation affords you is once you've identified that underlying belief such as I'm not enough and therefore I need to that's why I'm spending so much money on all these outward displays of of wealth. Once I've identified that, then is is that quiet time affording you the opportunity to talk with that inner child or to get connected as to what is the root of that belief? Yeah, it's it's one of many ways. I mean, 
you know, this is, this is sort of, it's like, I'm always looking for the different ways that people can do this work. I mean, the book that I'm writing right now and the process that I highlighted takes you through some of these stages because meditation as a longtime meditator, you know, 20 years, what I found is that meditation, it calms the mind. It allows you to be more open to these, these more intuitive hits. So sometimes it's really fast for people because they're so ready to see the things that they've been ignoring that the minute they start engaging in meditation and knowing they're doing it with this intention, which intention is so powerful because it, it pulls you towards the outcome. So if you're wanting to have more freedom, you sit down, you start to have better you know, meditation skills, because that's something that for many of us takes time to develop. You know, journaling is a bit faster because you just have a piece of paper in front of you and you just start writing and you see where it goes. I think that takes less training than meditation. But all of these are to start getting in touch with these inner voices inside of you that are wanting to come out. I think that's great because I think it's something that we're not doing enough, especially today, because there's so much entertainment. <laughs> I mean, we have our phones, we have Netflix, uh, there's, you know, constant music, there's the internet, and it's just, we can constantly distract ourselves. So we don't afford or give ourselves the opportunity to say, I'm going to sit in some quiet and solitude and really reflect on what is it I'm really, really feeling what's going on below the surface here. Perfect. So I want to attack just a little bit because I think sometimes these unconscious beliefs aren't necessarily born from childhood trauma. Sometimes it's just a societal norm that we've we've adopted and we don't necessarily even know why. Such as I think there there's many in the LGBT community that believe that money is the root of all evil. And in fact, they'll quote that as a Bible scripture, um, as evidence as as the evilness of money. But when in fact, the full scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Why do you think there's this confusion about the good potential of money? And how can we sort of overcome this negative perception? You know, there's so many reasons why I think we, <laughs> we think about money. As how long negative. is the show? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. I mean, what I think a lot about is that we are at the tail end of a 5,000 year cycle of extreme, you know, patriarchal capitalism, if you will, where Ben justifies the means, the idea that having more means that you are enough. I think it's all leading in the same direction. You know, we want to feel like whole beings. The way that we've gone about trying to do that culturally has really affected all of us. Like there's a lot of negativity in, you know, competition. Like I win and you lose. And money is tangled in deeply with these these ways of our society running itself. And I think that that's coming to an end. I feel like we're opening up new possibilities, but it's going to take time for us to change. Money's just energy. It's just a reflection of the culture that we live in. And so our negative thoughts about money are because we've seen a lot of really bad stuff happen in the world with money and we don't want to be associated with it. Yeah. What do you think of that? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I, I absolutely agree with you. You know, it's interesting. We were watching a YouTube video last night and Jason Silva was on and he was talking about how our minds are so attracted to the negativity of what we see in the world. There's so many good things happening out there. There's so many, you know, oftentimes, I think especially in the LGBT community, we say that rich people are bad. 
but then we don't point out all of the extremely wealthy people that are doing amazing things in the world. You know, the mm-hmm. things that Bill and Melinda Gates are doing, the way that Jeff Bezos has contributed and helped LGBT people. There are many opportunities for us to say money is good and how it's being used is good, but our brains are immediately attracted to that negative because that was part of our our survival traits. We were supposed to look for the scary, the negative, the bad things because that would protect us and how, allow us to continue to survive. And it was the individuals who actually did that, <laughs> that actually did survive and then they had children and they their children had children. So it kind of became ingrained in us as humans to focus on that negative side of it. And we have, we're conscious beings, we can change that now. We don't, we don't have as much negative or threatening situations in life today that we have to actually think about those over the positive ones. Well, this has a lot to do with the ego, the identification of of ourselves with the ego. And, And I'm not one to say that the ego has to go, but I do know that the ego is not serving us when it's leading the show rather than, you know, the mindful conscious being running the show. And, and the best way to think about the ego is back to the ego more than anything else. The ego wants to be right. Mm. And even if that (laughs) means making everyone else wrong, that's okay. This is back to like the highly competitive person who says I win and everyone else loses and that's okay. And so the ego, unfortunately, we still do live in a society where the ego reigns supreme. And we know that when we look at like, um, I was, I was writing about this, like competitive sports, for example, you know, when people are that whole experience of like, it's my team or your team. And we get so caught up in that energy of like, we have to win no (laughs) matter what, do you know? Yeah. (laughs) There's this juice that we, unfortunately, what I think has happened, and and this has been going on, this is part of our evolution, is we are still actually quite addicted to suffering Mm. as a society. We love the little shot of adrenaline that comes through these little wins when we are right. And that is the ego controlling us. It's causing us to, this is why well, let's look at media. The reason that negative media gets all the attention and positive media gets hardly any airtime is because of this addiction to the suffering that we all have at some part of our being. Does this make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so it's the, it's the media that is tapping into sort of this ancient thought process of ours um, and capitalizing on that for the benefit of advertisement and advertisement dollars. Yeah, like the prime, this primal, like animal energy that, that, that is how we stayed alive. Like we needed these abilities to be able to go and find food and compete when that time existed for food or, you know, for an animal. This is how they still operate. Whereas we're not that way anymore, but there are remnants of this ego identification that still plague our lives. And, and until we start to notice the drive for the juice that we get, by being right, by controlling, by dominating, until we see that in our own selves 
and decide that we're going to change it by lessening that desire, lessening our addiction to suffering. It's so fascinating. We all, you know, if you're scrolling down, you know, an internet page and you find yourself being drawn to the the articles that have something negative and you don't even, it's so unconscious, you just click on that one. Before you know it, you're in this like rabbit hole. Those are the things that we're looking to change inside of ourselves. And by understanding what's going on inside of us, you know, what causes us to have such a strong belief about, you know, money being a negative thing, then we start to notice that there's this complete unraveling of these primal nature, you know, pieces of ourselves that really are no longer needed. But we cannot have anyone do this work for us. It's a, you know, one man job for us to do this work. So isn't it that, you know, if, if we have this inherent belief that money is is evil, isn't there a part of our brain that's then seeking out affirmations of that belief so that we're constantly proving ourselves that we're right, even if the opposite is true? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that gives me chills. You're so spot on. Totally. Yeah. So we're not pointing out the positive aspects of how money can be of value or a tool for good in, in our lives or in other people's lives. You said we're we're looking for the uh, unfortunate leaders in the world who have done wrong with their money. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this yes. kind of leads me a little bit to vibration, and I don't think it's something that we talk enough about. I think because it seems a little bit, I don't know, woo 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 to people. But the more that David and I are, are studying and reading different content, watching videos and podcasts about quantum law, it's becoming more and more apparent to me that even though we've got these bodies that we can see and touch. Um, and we know that we can we can look at it at an atomic level, that even when you kind of tear all that away at the base of an atom, it's all vibration. And so we're living in a vibrational universe and then we're sending out those vibrations and getting the equal and opposite response back to us. What is vibration and, and how, how does that affect our daily lives? Yeah. So the first thing I just want to mention about a vibration is that the more open we are, more intuitive we are, the more receptive we're going to be to the concepts that we're just we're about to talk about. So <laughs> I'm just putting that caveat because vibration is a very feeling-based experience, right? Vibration, that it's already giving us an indication that this is about our feeling sense and not our mental sense. Mm. And it's really cool when we start to become more open to this whole other sense that we have access to that can help guide us. And I think of vibration, like I uprooted my family. We were living in Lake Tahoe and it's a more, um, I would say more masculine, more competitive, you know, Olympic ski sport mecca. And we moved to Sedona, Arizona. And for those who don't know of it, it's like an energy mecca, you know, in the world for people who are very sensitive and very intuitive. And I felt the call to wanting to be surrounding myself in this vibration that is more feminine. It's more open and flowing. And the reason that I know that and it is to the core of my being, it was a very intuitive sense that I was being called to come here and live here and write my book here. Now, vibration, it's also the mind doesn't really grab onto it. I mean, people use quantum mechanics to explain this sort of stuff. I'm not one of those people. I'm a super feeling based <laughs> person. That's how I experience the world. 
And so vibration to me is the idea that I want to surround myself with things that are going to be more like what I am wanting more of in my life. So people have vibrations, physical spaces have vibrations, lots of things have different vibrations. But the thing that I think our listeners right, can experience for themselves are, is bring a person who you deeply love to mind right now and just notice how you feel in their presence. Like notice how you you engage with them, notice what happens when you leave them, that your soul kind of longs to be with them again. It's just a very uplifting and positive experience when you're in their presence. And then compare that to someone who you really struggle with, who when you leave them, you can't wait <laughs> to get as far away <laughs> as possible. <laughs> and you're just brought down by their energy. It's very heavy. It's very negative. You know, this is the experience of vibration as it pertains to the people in our lives. And I think that the more we tune into it, the more we realize that we need to give ourselves permission to be in the vibration that most reflects what we want to be feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that I'll just add from my own experience, or I think from, from our experience, it seems like when you have that feeling, like, you described when you're with someone you love, when you have that feeling about more things in life than the other feeling of negativity, that's when you start to feel like your life is a success. Things are working at your job or things are working on your business or you're creating the right kinds of relationships with people. Life seems to be more fun and more enjoyable when we have more of that than the negative in our lives. And so, like you said, we want to try to move to those spaces of where we can get more of that positive or that channel the Beach Boys here, the good vibrations, right? <laughs> we want a great life. Well, then we need to figure out what it is, it is that makes a great life for us and put ourselves in that kind of situation. Yeah, because when we're feeling good, what happens? Like we don't feel like we need to go out and spend a whole bunch of money because we're really sensitive to how good it feels to have this real, truthful, lasting happiness that, that becomes more and more lasting the more we put ourselves in these situations. In comparison to the feeling of what it goes out, we go out and we use that credit card, you know, we buy something we know that we really can't afford, we get that juice in the moment when we buy it, right? We're like, oh, that feels good. But then we get home and we feel like crap because we know that we shouldn't have spent that money. It, it's, it causes us to kind of go backwards. I think what we're doing is we're noticing that we would far better choose hanging out with people who cause us to feel really good, reading books that cause us to feel good, listening to podcasts, you know, that cause us to feel good, than going out and doing things for this quick, immediate, like sugar rush. And then it just causes suffering. So we become more conscious of the differences that, and the choices that we make. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think it's so funny what you just said, because this whole idea of us buying things or going out and buying things because of a certain feeling. And I, I just remember back to when John and I, we gave up cable TV and we switched over to only watching Netflix and Hulu and watching things on YouTube. And we found that we were presented with so many, uh, so fewer commercials, so many advertisements were not there reminding us that we needed to have this car or this kind of house or, and we just 
I think it helped us become much more comfortable with living the lifestyle that we do live now and focus on the things that are important to us, not the advertisements that are important to society in general. It's such a good point. You know, here you're controlling your environment so that you can create more of what you want. Yeah. As you bring that up, I think to myself, you know, you're constantly, if you're watching regular TV, especially, you're constantly seeing commercials telling you, you're not enough. You don't have this. You need this. Um, and it's 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 from physical pro- products all the way to services and drugs. Right. You're, you, if you don't feel whole, take this pill. If you don't feel whole, buy these boots. If you don't feel whole, you need this. You need this gigantic house. And I think we're constantly chasing whatever it is that will make us feel whole. When at the end of the day, if we just sat down and connected with ourselves and got in touch with our inner selves through meditation or journaling or whatever the case may be, then you could actually maybe feel that wholeness that you're looking for without sabotaging yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a cheaper lifestyle, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) You just don't need all this stuff. You just don't, you see through it and your life becomes so much more simple and so much more fun. Absolutely. You know, I, I was listening to a podcast yesterday or maybe two days ago and the one of the individuals was talking about a study that showed that as soon as you live above the poverty line, the more money you make and the more things you have, they have shown that it doesn't increase your happiness. There's basically one level of happiness, and that's you're either stressed because you're below the poverty line and can't make ends meet, or you're financially in a place where you're comfortable. So I think that A lot of us get confused with this idea that I need more stuff or I need to make more money or I need to have a bigger life in order to be happy. But the proof is there that it doesn't actually make you happy with all those extra things or all that extra money. It's so true. I mean, I'm a living example of this that I think might be helpful for listeners. So if it's okay for me to just share a little bit of my backstory, would that be okay? Yeah. So... I made money, my God, like I literally thought that all my problems would be solved for the first, you know, half of my life, more than half of my life. And in the course of doing that, I became a self-made millionaire by my mid thirties and really had all the success. Like I made, you know, I made it happen because it was so important to me. But through this work, what ended up happening is I, the more I got in touch with the the me inside and the more I fell in love with myself and I found who I really was outside of this relationship with money and with all that suffering that I so closely loved dearly at the time, I started realizing that I could live with so much less. And my husband and I, we were living in a house on over five acres in Tahoe, a million dollar house that we had built. And and it just was, you know, right out of a magazine. It was gorgeous. And all I could think about was how I wanted to simplify my life, how I wanted, how we were spending so much time taking care of all of our stuff and the property upkeep. My, my husband's a, in contracting and he was working on the house all the time. And I thought, this is not living. This right. is like ridiculous. And so over a period of a short amount of time after I started my business, I put a list together of the things that I really wanted, even though I knew it was probably not likely, but a lot of it was downsizing. And over time, my husband came on board and now we live in a house that's like 
1,400 square feet. We went from over 4,000 square feet. We took our money and we put it in, you know, investing vehicles so that we have an Airbnb that's on our property, a separate home that he built. We have some other commercial real estate. But like you guys, we can live off of the money just from the Airbnb and (laughs) be totally fine. Like I wanted that kind of freedom so that I could create a business that I never had to say yes because I needed the money. It was because I'm saying yes because I think the world needs what I'm working on and putting my time into. Like I wanted to really shake things up. And yes, you know, the money allowed me to do that, but it was the reconfiguration of my my whole soul and my alignment with who I am that allowed me to see beyond the money and create a different life that allows us to just have so much more freedom. That's amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a great story. <laughs> and it's, I think it's a lesson for a lot of us who, you know, to be honest, living on five acres and building a house is probably one of the things that we've talked about. That was what initiated our aha moment. And I still have a desire to build my own home at some point. But I think it's good to remember that sometimes that's not necessarily going to bring me ultimate happiness. It may have to be a little home. <laughs> <laughs> and for each of us, it's, it's different. And quite frankly, if I hadn't had the experience, I would have wondered. And mm. so I needed that manifestation to be able to also teach what I teach now, which is there's lots of different ways you can go about it. It's not my idea of how other people should live. It's making sure that you know what your idea is and that you're actually bringing that into reality and not someone else's dream. <laughs> Right. It kind of reminds me of that uh, that comment, and I don't know who said this, but you say that money isn't going to bring me happiness, but I'd like to have the opportunity to find out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> sometimes we have to learn the lesson the hard way, and sometimes we can learn the lesson through other people. Totally. Jim Carrey has a great quote, right? It's like, I wish everyone could have all the money that they want so that they could find out that it's not what they thought. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So many times, so many people achieve that sort of level of success that we all aspire to. And then they get there and they're like, hey, guys, it's really not that great. <laughs> you know, There's another way to find happiness that we all have access to, regardless of where we work or how much money we earn. Totally. So you have a system called the I Prosper Solution. It's an eight-step system to transform people's relationships with money. Would you mind giving us a high-level overview of what that is? Sure, sure. So it's seven steps and and it actually spells out the steps. So I is for intention. I mentioned this earlier. Intention is a little different than I think most people think. Once we set an intention, it actually is the thing that pulls us towards it. We actually have to do a lot less than we think once we set intention. So that's where everything starts in my work. The next is pattern, which is what we were talking about earlier. We want to know what is that negative pattern that we're stuck in with money and getting to the core belief behind it. And then R is reclaim, which is reclaiming your feelings. So I found that many of us are very out of touch with our true feelings. We have confusion between our emotions, which are more reactive, and our feelings, which are the deep parts of ourselves that guide us and help us to tune into intuition. The next is O for opportunity. We have to believe in our own potential to be able to ever change our lives. So creating the opportunity. 
S is for story. So a lot of my work is helping people write the story of the past. Where has this money story come from? And then own it, like really take responsibility and own it, not blame, but own it. Mm. And when you own it, you begin to open the door for the next step, which is possibility, P for possibility, which is okay, well, if that's the story I've been living in the past, what is the potential for me going forward? How might I write the story that I really want to be living for myself? E is for evidence. Now, it's so funny because I'm a money person, right? I'm a certified financial planner. I've worked in money business for over 30 years. E is evidence, meaning how does this all translate into your money? What's happening with your money? How are you treating it? Now that you're writing your new story, you need to make sure that the way you act with your money, the planning, the financial decisions that you make are in alignment with your possibility. And then R is for reinvention, which is like, okay, I'm going to create the story. It's like write my financial plan and write my money story and and create the life that I really want to be living, not the one that I that I just happen to be living. Gotcha. That sounds pretty holistic. I love it. <laughs> Where can our listeners find out more about that? And, and is this the process that you take your clients through, through your coaching? Yeah, yeah. It's the process I take them through. And it's also the book and workshops that are based on that eight-step process. So if anyone's interested in learning more, the best place to start is going to wealthclinic.com. I also have another, I'm going to, it's so funny, my brain seems to have gone completely blank. So one second, I think it's the wealthflower.com. Yeah, the wealthflower.com all running together. I, earlier, I mentioned how I, I made that decision to get more in alignment. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just wealthflower.com. Get in alignment with what did I really, really want versus what am I living right now? And so this is an exercise that people can download for free and, and try it out for themselves and get a little taste of the work that I'm doing nice. and how this can help them. I love it. You'll be impressed, I think. There's an exercise that David and I do most mornings, not every morning, but most mornings after we meditate, we do what we call I feels and we spell it F-E-E-L-Z. And it's where we give each other the opportunity to go back and forth. We each share three of our deepest feelings at that moment. So how are things going personally and professionally between us, um, you know, just life in general, just to kind of get really in touch with our most basic feelings at that time. So then if we need to, we can address them. Ah, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> I love it. So if yeah. you were to recommend, if somebody said, I, I need to improve my life a little bit and I want to adopt a daily exercise, but I only have time for one. What would you recommend as the one daily exercise, daily routine that they incorporate? Hmm. Right now what's coming up is journaling, that that would be the best place to start. So just putting that pen to paper and a lot of people have journaling a little bit confused. So I'll just give a little more clarity to what I mean on that. This would be where you literally put your pen down to paper and you may start gibberish. Like it doesn't really matter what you write. Do it in longhand to start until you figure out what I'm talking about. 
but allow yourself to not go in with any preconceived ideas of what you're going to write about. Just let it flow through you. It becomes very meditative when you do it this way. And you might be surprised at what starts to come through you, which is that deeper voice inside. So you don't have to answer questions. You don't have to have a topic, just literally write And you may even, you know, if you have a connection beyond, you know, to God or to spirit or to divine energy, you can say, I don't know what I'm going to write. And you write that over and over again. And all of a sudden something shifts and other things start to come through about what's going to really help you to heal. Yeah, I like that. We've journaled a little bit. We aren't as good with, aren't as regular with that as we are with maybe meditation and doing our feels. And we do affirmations every day as well, but I always want to get back into journaling and we just never do. So I will use this as an opportunity to re-engage with my journal. (laughs) Beautiful. I have a question. So you are a woman, obviously, and you've probably dealt with the, the gender pay gap. There's also a sexual orientation and gender identity pay gap, especially for trans women of color. One of the problems that David and I have, though, is that we also believe that what we focus on expands. And our culture is constantly talking about these sort of inequities. And I would love your insight as to how do we balance the two of making sure that we're having a valuable discussion so we can make everything more equal, but also not focusing so much on the negative. How do you, how do you balance that in your life? Mm, great question. What comes to me right now is just what you said. It's super important to not focus on the negative. You already know that that's something that is affecting you and the world around you, but don't spend time thinking about it. What I always tell my clients when it comes to earning more money, being paid you know, more fairly, or I don't even like that word. It's like being paid what you really know that you're putting out into the world, being paid based on value. I think the most important thing we can do is focus on the value that we're creating in the world and how that manifests, whether you're working for someone, you're working for, you know, you're self-employed and you're working for clients. The most important thing you can do if you want more money, you want to be paid more, is to focus on what is the value you are bringing to the world. That is where all the success comes from. That is how everyone out there has made their money outside of like lottery. And even that probably has some karmic things associated (laughs) with it. (laughs) But you need to focus on the value. That's even like when I went through this, I prosper, you know, this is my way of, of putting all this information that I've been learning over this past, you know, 20, 30 years into a concise way of providing value into the world. That is what brings you more money. The other stories need to go because whether they're true or not true doesn't really matter. What matters more than anything, and this is the great equality, is that if you provide great value into the world, you will be compensated for it. Mm, nice. Awesome. That's very Jim Ronish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so if our listeners are wondering why your sound is so good, it's because you're also a podcaster. <laughs> Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about your Art of Abundance podcast? Sure. Thank you. 
So The Art of Abundance is working on episode 211, and I've been doing it for several years now. It's a labor of love. I interview people who are sharing about money, about abundance, about other things that sound interesting to me and I think will be interesting to my listeners. But the overall premise of it is how can we have more abundance in our lives? How can we get more in touch with the principles that we've been talking about here? And so it's been really, really fun to go out. I interviewed Dan Pink. I've interviewed Harv Ecker. I've interviewed, I mean, just so many people. It's kind of like a smorgasbord of very unique personalities. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing that brings them all together is me is pretty much what I'm going to (laughs) say. That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. And you also mentioned a couple of times that you're working on a book. What is that about? When might our listeners be able to to read it? Yeah, so it's it's literally a you know self help book. So the idea is I wanted to create a how to so that people could pick up the book, read about these principles that we've been discussing today, and then you know part one is more of an introduction to the concepts, kind of what we've covered in our conversation today. And part two is this eight step process that involves a lot of journaling and mindfulness and other practices that allow you to go through the process of letting go of the old story of the past and creating you know, what you want for the future. Timing is a little up in the air right now, but I am sharing snippets of, of the writing with my you know, readers who receive my email updates. And I'll be offering workshops starting next year or early, probably February, where people will be guided through that process over a three-month experience. In all fairness, I really enjoy this work even more than my private one-on-one coaching because I've found that part of the reason we get so stuck in our money stories is we think we're the only one living it. (laughs) And when we come together and we do this work in a community, people from all over the world, we see their stories, their struggles. It takes everything to a whole nother level because we give ourselves more permission to be who we were in the past. And we don't give ourselves such a hard time, guilt, shame, you know, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. We we get rid of that stuff really quickly. And then we just get to experience what it is that we're wanting to create and the realizations that are standing in the way of us doing that together. So where can our listeners follow you on social media and how can they get on that email list so they know when your book comes out? Yeah, perfect. So again, if they go to thewealthflower.com, they'll get that exercise and then they will receive updates you know, about the iProsper process. I also send out the updates about the podcast and other things, but that would be the best place to start. You can also go to wealthclinic.com and that's where the podcast and the blog Social media, I'm on Twitter at at Lee Sluski. It's L-E-I-S-L-O-O-S-K-I. Do not even ask where that came from. On Facebook, it's slash mindful, you know, facebook.com forward slash mindful wealth. And on Instagram, Lisa Peterson. Cool, very much. Well, thank you so much for coming on our show. We really appreciate it. I love this conversation. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you listeners for for taking the time to check this out. Absolutely. Thank you again, Lisa, for joining us on this very special episode of Queer Money. Also for reminding all of us that we can create the financial wealth and security we desire and still do it mindfully. 
it is important that we remember our mindset, but also we have to take action. So finally, remember that this episode is brought to you by the Debt-Free Guys 13-Week Leap. Think getting financially organized requires too many steps and is therefore too hard? Think again. With a 13-Week Leap, we'll walk you through getting your financial life organized one simple step each week for 13 weeks. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.